welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the Saints are halfway to realizing their apparent goal of turning into the new Buffalo Bills. The Patriots remind you that defensive backs still rule the day. And with me this week, here to drop more F-bombs than Kyle Shanahan in the Senior Bowl conference, or practice, I should say, it's David Newman. <laughs> David! What is fucking up? What? I mean, you had to, yeah, yeah. You, you had to, you, you had to start with it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you gotta stay on brand. Well, I gotta make the rules. Gotta stay on brand. Uh, so first, before we get to today's show, which I'm super excited at, be, uh, about because it's, uh, well, what we do the offseason. It's, it's where there is hope. It's where there's a plan. It's where we can win the day. <laughs> the thing that we can control. Things uh, stop being miserable. Correct. But you've got uh, fiat power. You can do whatever you want to NFL officiating. How do you fix it? Because that call in the Saints game was just highway robbery. Oh, you take power away from them as much as possible. I mean, yeah, there's really no reason at this point beyond old people not liking it that things shouldn't be like technology driven and as automated as possible. It would speed things up. Like you just you, review you have to, everything. Uh, I don't think I think uh, so. Yeah, it, like the well, not review everything, but make everything available for review and just leave the coaches with the same sure. number of challenges. Yeah, fixing officiating uh, is is I think another topic that is not going to be addressed for probably quite a while. I think the immediate solution to this current problem is, uh, yeah, which is is something that Bill Belichick and Sean Payton have been asking for for a long time now, which is uh, let coaches use their two challenges on whatever they want. Make everything reviewable. There's no reason uh, not to do this at this point, really. I mean, it's, it's not going to, you're not giving them more opportunities. You're just saying whatever you want to use those opportunities on, go for it yeah. and uh if they use it on a a dumbass pass interference call in the first quarter like that's their own problem right it, it's not going to slow the game down any more than things currently are uh, i think that's the the no-brainer like next solution yeah i think that makes a ton of sense i'm on board uh not gonna spend too much time on it. i was just curious mostly about your thoughts because that's the the soup du jour this week in, in nfl Man. coverage yeah it was uh it was rough it we, sucks we've uh we've had a, a lot of opportunity i think talk about like calls that people are upset about because like obviously people are always upset about officiating um and and i think you you always yeah like lean on the side of like look there's plenty of other opportunities that they had and i think you can make some of those arguments for the saints but it is very hard when it is like that so clear how things play out if that call that is very obvious uh gets made so yeah it's a tough one it sucks well David's back this week, and he'll be back with us pretty regularly over the course of the offseason because the offseason is where we do a lot of our work looking at the kind of the roster, looking at draft prospects, looking at free agency. All those things are going to be coming soon. Uh, but we always start off the offseason by looking at the roster and evaluating the roster in a systemic way that we kind of created last season that really helped us focus on what the team does well and, and, and where the team has strengths on the roster because we knew that this wasn't going to be a one-year rebuild. But we also know that that player and roster composition is not binary. It's not that guy is awesome and that guy sucks. Rosters are built and completed with a mix of developmental players, with a mix of kind of transitional veterans that you're here to kind of fill a role for a couple of years with superstars. uh, And with honestly, some players that just are not good, but you need bodies uh, because it's hard to get every every single person to be good. Rosters are not all pro players top to bottom. Rosters are, are a weird blend of all of these things that ultimately get you to the promised land. Definitely. I think that's why we really like this kind of tiered system of looking at things is because far too often player evaluation comes down to just a very binary, you're great or you're terrible, get the hell off my roster like type of thing. And, and there's obviously a lot of space in between those two points. And 
Uh, no team is going to be able to have an entire roster filled with all pros and, and those kind of high-end players, right? So you have to be able to find a balance and mix of these other types of players to fill out the rest of the roster and, and get enough contributions from those players that you can actually contend and then obviously push for, for a championship, which is your ultimate goal, obviously. So I think that's kind of the starting point is, is getting a little bit, you know, we don't want to go too granular with things, but I think, you know, breaking them down into a few different tiers makes a lot of sense and is a good way to kind of categorize these players. So what we did was we created basically X and Y axes. And on the Y axis, you've got skill, basically how good that player is. And on the X axis, you've got that player's expected time on the roster. The idea being that better players, you know, you kind of want them around longer and teams expect them to be around longer. And so we use contract length uh, as well as dollars as a proxy for what the team expects from that player. Uh, and you can plot every player on those axes somewhere between kind of skill and how long you expect them to be there. And, and you get four clear quadrants. Uh, and then you kind of get this area above it, which is going to be where we're going to talk about our, our kind of core players or the players that are uh, a cut above everyone else. The George Kittles of the world, the all pros that you always want to have as the core of your roster. So if we kind of go through the different tiers and we go through them numerically, we start with the first tier, which are your core players. And, and these are the players that you build rosters around. They're considered one of the best players at their position. They're critical to your success in part because they likely play an impact position. There are importance. There are positions that we know are just more valuable in football. Quarterback, cornerback, edge rusher. These are your premier positions. There that they are such for a reason, uh, and so likely they play one of those positions. And they're generally at or near the prime of their career. Think of your Patrick Mahomes, which is, I mean, that was quick. Uh, yeah, Julio Jones, it's gonna be fun. Khalil Mack, Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, George Kittle. These are spoiler alert. These are your uh, your <laughs> core players. And they kind of consist of the really superstar nucleus of, of a team and they're players that every team needs in order to succeed. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that's that's 100 percent the starting point. If you don't have, you know, a few of these guys at a few key positions, you know, I, I think uh, where they're at is very important. Um, you're you're not going to have great odds. You know, obviously it starts with the quarterback, but a couple of those other ones you mentioned, you want to have guys there that are really kind of carrying your team and and allowing these next tier of players to to have a better opportunity of success because they're not kind of the premier players. They're able to just kind of go in, do what they do well, and, and kind of fill a more specific role. Now, as we go through these tiers, one thing I forgot to mention kind of at the top, but that a lot of times visuals help, obviously. So we're going to put the quadrants up, and we're going to put the players and their tiers as we release them in the show notes on Niners Nation. So if you're listening to this on Spotify, which is fairly new, we're on Spotify, or Pandora, which also we're new on as well because they're doing podcasts, uh, or iTunes, or Google Play, or, or anything like that, uh, Apple Podcasts, go to Niners Nation, uh, take a look at the Better Rivals page, and we'll have all of this information there as well, definitions as well as the players. So that way you can kind of have a, a little guide to follow along. But the, the next tier is Tier 2, which is foundational players. And these are generally young players. Uh, but you expect them to give you three or more years of production on the roster. They're supporting players, but that doesn't mean they're not important. They fit a more specified role and work best as complementary players. They're maybe the catch-up to the French fry of the Tier 1 player, but they can play very, very pivotal roles, and they can be all over their career arc. Some of these players are young, some of these players are old, but the key is you expect production from them for a sustained bit, uh, and they have a pivotal role for the team and so this is going to be, on good teams, really a good portion of that team's roster. 
Yeah, you want to have a good number of players here because, again, you're, you're not going to have too many that fit in that first tier. And so these are really... Uh, don't feel like this is a diminished tier because of, you know, calling them supporting players. Like these are really key pieces throughout your roster. They just may not be necessarily the superstars that are carrying you, but they, uh, again, are very necessary for your team to have uh, if you have any hope of, of being good consistently and kind of contending. I would say someone like Cooper Cup is in this area where like the Rams offense is clearly not the same without him. But he's not like in the elite elite of wide yeah, receivers. Uh, you know, maybe like a, you know, I don't know. This might even be generous, but like a Todd Gurley might even fit yeah. in this. Uh, <laughs> that, in this that tier. gets to the core of the running back. Uh, you know, but yeah, I think you can. C.J. Anderson, tier right, two player. Tier, yeah, right. I mean, they're just interchangeable. Uh, just a couple of generational backs in that backfield there. They're very, very fortunate. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, you, you look at a lot of guys and they can, again, still be very good players. Like look, sticking with the Rams there, I think you would probably call uh, every one of their skill position players on offense would probably fall somewhere in here, right? I don't think they have a true top-end guy. There's no, like, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown uh, on, on it with their among their skill positions there. You know, I think uh, a lot of the guys that they have on defense surrounding Aaron Donald, right, are, are going to be in, in there. So, uh, yeah, you, you want a good number of players fitting in this tier because that means you kind of have some young, talented pieces. And, Again, like you mentioned, they don't necessarily have to be young, but I, I think most of the time with just kind of the way today's NFL roster construction works and and, and kind of uh, largely eliminating this middle class of player, like a lot of times they are going to be young. This should be uh, kind of your impact players that you've drafted and developed in-house, and, and that's mostly going to be these players. There's this hidden value in, or not, it's not even a hidden value, it's a pretty obvious value in that draft picks are really, really cheap. And you basically have their rights for four years. And if they're a first rounder, you've got them for five. And you've got basically four to five cost controlled seasons where if you're able to get solid production out of a player, then they really are kind of the underbelly of your roster. They churn and you kind of do it all over again with draft picks. Uh, and so if your core players are going to be usually players with the monster contracts, this is going to be the, the players that hopefully you hit on in the draft or that you can acquire through some other kind of mechanism uh, that kind of binds you to them for, for quite some time. So the, the three-year roster expectation is kind of key here. You know, yeah. you, def, you think about defining roster expectation. You think about contract length, but there's also money. Um, dead money being kind of a dead giveaway, where if there's a lot of dead money on a contract over two or three years, then the team probably expects that player to be here. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put that dead money in the contract. Uh, and then the team, the, the player's role also factors a bit in here. So there's, there's a lot of inputs here, uh, but the idea is that this is going to be hopefully a, a thicker part of your roster generally young because you expect them to be here for a while. Uh, but then David, talk to me a bit about those tier three players, those what we'll call the transitional players. So that's going to be uh, basically your other type of supporting player, right? So these are, are, are guys, however, that are going to be typically more veteran players. You're usually not expecting them to be on the roster quite as long, right? So uh, it, they're, they're kind of the older guys. A lot of times you're going to be getting them in free agency. Um, it, it's just, you need somebody that can come in and fill a more immediate need and it's unlikely whether that's due to age or, or just kind of, um, you know, cost or whatever it may be, right, that, that's a reason for, for them not being on your roster long term. Um, they're, they're just kind of here as a, more of a stopgap. So, again, still supporting players, still, I think, uh, from a skill level standpoint, a lot of times will be hopefully similar to those Tier 2 players, but it's just really that roster expectation 
because of the age or, or whatever it is that you're not expecting them to be around quite as long. If we think about how the Niners went about building their roster last year when or, or in 2017 when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch first started with the franchise, these were the players they went out and, and signed to to big money deals at the time. This is Earl Mitchell, right? right. Th this is yep. exactly the Earl Mitchell category where he is now gone. He was on the team for two years. Uh, and really, based on the way his contract was structured, that's really all you would expect because they had team options the last couple of years of his deal. And he filled the need. The Niners defensive line, you know, needed some some needed a nose tackle. Uh, so then they went out and got him. They thought they'd only have him for two years. They were looking for a replacement and they found one. Uh, and I think that's the other part with the, the tier three players that the team is kind of got their head on a swivel looking for a replacement if they can find one because they'd rather bring in a tier two player right. to replace that tier three. Yeah, ideally you want to have the guy that you can plug in and, and you can count on for you know a more extended period. Yeah, I think uh, Mitchell's a perfect example. I think guys like Pierre Garçon, um, Elvis Dumerville last year, like these are the type of players that you're talking about that you're bringing in, usually in free agency. I need you to come in, step in right away. You're kind of expecting them to play an immediate role but likely we're going to replace you uh, in the near future. Larry Fitzgerald just signed a one-year deal. Man, he, he still, is still plugging away. He is, man. His uh, his hairline needs a little bit farther to go back. <laughs> you know, he's trying to get that straight half moon, I think, at the end of this year. It's going to be so weird when he just decides to, like, go bald and, and just, like, shave it off. It's going to be like, what is going no, on? No, no, no. That's what the dreadlocks are there for, man. He's going to cut those, use that for hair plugs, and it's got LeBron part two. It's, these guys have too much money to go bald. I mean, fair. <laughs> uh, so then we get to the fourth tier, and that's going to be the developmental players. These are young players with upside. And upside could be for lots of different reasons, but these are players that you hope can develop into something quite a bit more. They are typically plus athletes. This is where your spark warriors live. The player that you think, you know what, they're a raw, they're an athlete, let's bring them in, maybe coach them up, and hopefully they develop into a tier two player uh, and so, really, you think about how this these players are acquired. They are they're drafted. Sometimes they you trade draft picks for them. Um, and generally, especially initially, they don't see a ton of snaps outside of special teams or injury. But teams are ex are scared to expose them to waivers because if they get cut, someone else is going to snatch them up and basically try and sign and develop. So this is going to be you know depending on where your roster is, you know a glut area. Um, or if you're more kind of at, at the older age of a Super Bowl run, you may not have too many players here. Uh, and the most the glut of your team is going to be in that tier two, tier three. Or in some cases, if you're amazing, like the 2011, 2012 Niners were, you will have kind of a lot more, you know, tier one players. Right. I, I think th so. This is kind of a complementary tier to tier two. Right. So. Uh, it, it's again, like you mentioned, typically going to be younger players that you've drafted. Um, the difference here is really skill level. So these are players that just aren't there yet, right? For whatever reason. But I think the part of, of them having some sort of upside, right? The, the belief that they can eventually become that tier two player, I think is very important, right? Like just being young and on the roster doesn't mean you're in tier four, right? If you suck and you're young, like you're still going to be in this final tier that we're going to get to. Uh, so, so just merely being young doesn't put you here. There has to be some reason to believe that you can become better, whether, you know, that again, that's because of uh, a high athleticism or that's because high draft pick, uh, if you have a high draft, yeah, pedigree. high draft pick that, that just hasn't uh, put it together yet. Or maybe it's a player that hasn't seen a ton of playing time, but is played really well for a short stretch. Right. So you just don't have necessarily the sample size to, to, 
believe that you're going to be able to rely on these players. So those type of reasons are why you end up here, not merely because you're young. So then there's the last tier, and that's going to be tier five, the replaceable players. Uh, ultimately, the name says it all. The player can be young, they can be old. The key is that the player is just not very good, but you need a body because special teams exist uh, and because the NFL is is a rough sport. Uh, this is basically, and we talked about replacement level players with George uh, from Pro Football Focus, I think uh, last, I think was it last offseason? Uh, yeah, I think it was in the the preview, like leading up to the start yeah. of the season was when we talked. About and, it. and if we remember what the definition of a replaceable player was, it, it's basically you can replace that skill by signing someone off the street. And so you think of running backs, <laughs> CJ Anderson, that gets signed up off the street. Yep. Uh, you know, you can find that skill. It's readily available. It is not rare. It is not scarce. Um, that doesn't mean that that player may not, you know, actually contribute to a team, but ultimately they're not that great. They're not so valuable that you need to sign them to a long-term money deal. These are the guys that you find on the street. These are the Alfred Morrises of the world uh, that you can find that skill readily at hand. And so they're just, they're kind of like there. Yeah, I think, you know, the nature of it uh, and, and just not being enough good players to go around for all the teams, like you're going to always have like a decent number of players, I feel like, fall into this tier, right? Everybody's got to fill out their roster. Um, you're not going to be able to get 53 players that can qualify for one of the higher tiers. So you're going to have just kind of some bad players at the end of the roster. And um, obviously you want to minimize the number of players there as much as possible, but it, it's just the reality You've got bad players on the roster. You're not expecting anything from them. You're not making a concerted effort to really keep these guys around for a major role. Uh, it, it's just kind of like, all right, like you're here. Come fill this specific role, which Don't is probably going to be on the bench. And, you know, we're, we're going to move on exactly uh, when the time comes. So uh, the recap of the tiers, tier one, those are your core players, the players you build rosters around. Tier two, your foundational players. You are, they're generally young and you generally expect them to produce for three or more years, uh, and they are complementary players, but they still can be pivotal to your success, and oftentimes are. Tier three, transitional players, generally your older veterans with two or fewer years of roster production. And then tier four, your developmental players, young with some positive reason for upside, uh, and then your replaceable players, because the NFL is a, a tough place, but these players are ones where you can replace their skill set by signing a street-free agent, literally replacement-level players. Now, part of the other reason that we wanted to go about creating a model like this is because there is not just one way to skin the roster cat. There's not just one way to build a team and build a roster and say that is always going to win the Super Bowl. Now, I think there are probably some constants, right? Having a good quarterback helps. Sure. But ultimately, you can compose your roster in different and unique ways year to year and still produce. And so what we're going to do in this section is basically look at the model in action. Uh, and look at different ways that teams have built a winning roster and look at what the makeup of their kind of different tiers were to help us understand how we can use the model to figure out what positions to target, where the real strengths are, uh, and maybe even figure out how well the Niners should do the following year. So I think, you know, it starts largely while there are a bunch of different ways. I think you can ultimately group those different ways into kind of one or two, uh, I guess, larger buckets, right? Which is going to be, do you have a quarterback on a rookie contract or do you have a quarterback that you're paying a lot of money? And it kind of, that's your start point with, uh, you know, what roster building strategies are available to you. If you have a, a quarterback that's on that rookie deal, you know, you look at somebody like Kansas City right now, uh, they have Patrick Mahomes on the cheap relative to all of the other players that are of his caliber at that position. 
that allows you to invest a lot of other money in free agency to go out and grab those tier three players uh, that can come in and, and kind of have a more immediate need for you and, and kind of fill that immediate role. Whereas when you have a quarterback that you're paying a significant amount of money, um, like the 49ers are in that situation now, even though, you know, I think they did structure that contract well, they're still very much in the we're paying a quarterback a good amount of money uh, camp there. And so that is going to limit the amount of money, of course, that you can then spend on other positions. And so I think it becomes more critical for those teams to be able to hit on their draft picks and and kind of build through that way a little bit more. And, and they can obviously still, I think, with the way that the cap's going, you can still definitely supplement with free agency, but it's just a little bit of a different initial approach there. Now, last year, we did the, the kind of looking at the model in action. We took a look at two different teams, one that was a historical team that really had uh, had a rookie quarterback because we thought, well, there are some different ways. But this year, I thought it would be good to look at teams that had already paid their quarterback because that's the state of affairs that the 49ers find them in right now. Jimmy Garoppolo is on his second contract and, you know, they're paying him a lot of money. Luckily, it's a, it's a relatively cap friendly contract because, you know, Parag Marate is the, the best athlete we've had. But the but ultimately, I think it's it's instructive to look at a team like the 2017 Falcons and the 2018 Colts to look at how you can build a roster successfully around a highly paid quarterback. Uh, And so, David, talk a little bit about what that 2017 Falcons roster looked like and how they were able to find success. Yeah, so this one we won't spend, you know, necessarily too much time on because uh, we did talk about these guys last year and kind of went a little bit more in depth. But they are very much, again, Matt Ryan getting paid a good amount of money there. And so the core of their roster, kind of those those tier one, tier two players have largely been players that they have been able to draft and develop. So you looked at last year, it was 40% of their roster was made up of those tier one and tier two players, which is a, is a high amount there. And that's kind of, you know, what you want to have. And so you look at the players around Matt Ryan that are kind of key components of that roster. It's Julio Jones. Uh, it's a lot of guys on defense, obviously Vic Beasley, Keanu Neal, uh, Robert Alford, Desmond Trufant, uh, Deion Jones added that mix. You got the running backs that they've drafted there and Freeman and Coleman. So you have a lot of their key parts have been guys that they've drafted and developed that they've hit on in the draft. And I think that's a really key component again for this type of roster building is, is you have to be able to hit on some impact players in the draft to have that kind of cheap foundational talent that you can, can keep on your roster there. The, the team that we added this year that I thought was interesting was the 2018 Colts because their, their roster arc had some similarities to where the 49ers are going into 2019. Well, you've got the, the second contract and the second coming for Andrew Luck. He was coming off of injury, but he signed a $122 million deal in 2016. In 2017, when Luck was injured, the team went 4-12. and 12, uh, And now Andrew Luck has a $24.4 million cap hit in 2018. That was his cap number. So that was kind of the, the place that the Colts were working with. And yet through that, they had four Tier 1 players. They had Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton. This year, they drafted Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. So it's a mix of players that they had drafted previously and retained and or developed, uh, and then new players that they added that they just absolutely nailed in the draft. But the thing that I thought was interesting about the Colts was that they also had strength in the secondary. They had two Tier 2 players. So those are going to be your your kind of core foundational players, uh, and two Tier 3 players in the secondary. They had safety Mike Mitchell. He's a 10-year vet, not under contract for 2019, definitely in that transitional tier. Malik Hooker, first-round draft pick in 2017, 
At corner, they've got Pierre Desir. He was a one-year value-free agent that they signed because he had a peck injury. And so he returned but played at a similarly high level. And you've got Quincy Wilson, second-round draft pick in 2017. So their secondary was one of their strengths. They had great defense at stretches throughout the year. And they did so with a mix of rookies, players they've developed, transition, that transitional tier. Uh, and then they've got a, a core player in there as well in, in Malik Hooker. And, and I think that overall, you, you've got a, a blend of different tiers that created a strong unit at one of the more important positions that you need on defense. Right. That's kind of the next step, right? So once you, uh, the, the quarterback situation determines in a lot of ways the number of resources that you have available to spend, right? In, in terms of free agency dollars, of course. But then from there, what you choose to do with those resources is kind of the next, you know, and probably more important part, really, and where you're devoting those draft picks, where you're devoting that free agent spending to. And so, yeah, I think you look at teams uh, like the Colts, who have, have kind of been able to get players in the secondary there. Uh, you know, they draft, they have a couple players, you know, kind of in uh, the, the tier three, tier four range that are looking at pass rushers. So I think, you know, you have guys that they're going after in kind of key spots for those. And I think that's the important thing, right? Even though I think you could argue that like Nelson maybe doesn't quite fit that, you know, I'm not like necessarily totally in love with all their moves, but it, the the point is that they're kind of, they're still going after that was a, you could look at more of the offensive line as a whole, protecting Andrew Luck, giving him clean pockets to help passing efficiency, right? So these are all things that they've done well that was it contributed to them kind of coming out and having a stronger year than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, and you think about their their edge production, which was probably one of their weaker components this year, but they they had a tier four player, a developmental player they drafted in 2018 in Kamiko right. Ture. Yep. Uh, and then they have Jabal Sheard, which similarly to what the Niners said last year, is a transitional player. He is a, a veteran that they signed, and uh, he you know performed exactly what you want a tier three player to do, right? He had seven yep. sacks. Uh, on 595 pass rush snaps, uh, and so th- that's the that's the kind of blend that you want, and that teams that are generally successful um, kind of find themselves in. Is, yeah, is- I think actually, like one of the other, um, we were kind of talking about this a little bit yesterday when going through these teams. I think actually the Saints, you know, picking looking at a team that was kind of in things late here, are another one that kind of fits that same mold. Obviously, paying Drew Ble- Drew Brees a lot of money, but you look at the key pieces there. Um, not only have they hit on some key draft picks, but they're hitting on them in the right spots. You look at guys like Michael Thomas, who might be, uh, you know, one is probably one of the two, three best receivers in the league right now. And you look at guys like Marshawn Lattimore and Marcus Williams on defense in the secondary and what they were able to do. Uh, you know, they invested a pick. I don't know if I agree with the the specific person in, in the trade up, but Davenport. Marcus Davenport, you know, going after pass rush. So uh, they're, they're again, having to build largely through the draft. They did have a, a few pieces that they added in free agency. You know, uh, Larry Warford, for instance, at guard, you know, has been a good player for them. So I, I think, and yeah, Patrick, that's Patrick kind Robinson, of, right? That kind of Patrick value, Robinson that, bringing him back that value he, free agent, right? Yep. Cause he had a fantastic year in Philadelphia. And, and so you think to yourself, okay, yeah, like he, he, he would be someone that is a, a value at a very, very important position at a position that at the time the Saints very much needed. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's kind of the the spot. The 49ers are eventually, they're in a little bit better, I think, cap situation than what the Saints uh, were in because of uh, some issues that the Saints had previously. But I, I think that's kind of the blueprint that you're looking for going forward, right? It's that we're paying this quarterback a lot of money. We need to really focus on hitting these draft picks and then making sure that the free agents we bring in are the right free agents that can come in fill kind of those needs that we can't get and and come in and have an immediate impact.
So the key here with the different tiers is that you want to blend these tiers to create a solid roster top to bottom. You're not going to create a solid roster top to bottom in today's NFL by signing every single high dollar free agent and every single all pro that you can get your hands on because that's just not a tenable strategy. So you need to find value and you need to basically staff your team and your roster with different, with different tiers in order to form a complete team. And the way that you approach that and the type of players that you pick, of course, are important, but ultimately... This all goes into the service of being able to have a, a solid roster top to bottom uh, with quality players at key positions that have a blend between developmental players, core players, your top tier players, uh, and your transitional kind of veteran players. So let's apply then the model to the 49ers. We did this last year, uh, and it really helped zero in on the positions of true need for the 49ers. It influenced how we broke down the draft and how we broke down free agency. Uh, and where we should spend resources in terms of free agents and draft. And, and I think that there are, um, you know, you can say, well, I already know that the positions the Niners need, but it's like, but let's actually take a look at the roster holistically and figure out if there are any kind of positions or areas that we think may be fine, but maybe waiting to explode in terms of a ticking time bomb because they either haven't been addressed or they're just the players aren't very good. Uh, so what we'll do over the next couple of weeks is we'll talk about tier five players and tier four players today. And then we'll talk about the rest of the tiers in the coming weeks, leading into our free agency previews, which then lead into the draft. So we'll kind of move along in the offseason, just as the 49ers do, so that we'll be able to, to keep up with what it is that they do, provide some recommendations, do some scouting, put brains to work, uh, and, and have some fun this offseason. Uh, so David, let's talk about tier five, the replaceable players. The, players, the most fun. The most fun. We're, we're going to start it from the bottom, and now we're... Fuck. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about this because this is um so we talked about the 2017 uh falcons 40 percent of their roster was tier one tier two uh and now we look at tier five for the 49ers uh how what percentage of players are in tier five for the niners uh looks to be checking math here uh, i believe 40 percent yep so it would be inverted 2017 uh, yeah, and this is, uh, you know, I guess still the exact same number, funny enough. Um, so the, the number of players, basically the way that we are, uh, the player pool that we are using here for this is uh, effectively anybody that is under contract for next season plus your pending free agents. So if effectively, if they're listed on the 49ers.com roster right now, they're included uh, in, in kind of our group of players that we're evaluating here. Yeah, and I think the total number for this season was 68 is where it landed. Uh, 63. Same, 63. Same as last year. Yeah, 63. Um, so, yeah, and, and obviously there's a chunk of those players, again, that are going to be pending free agents, and, and you do find a lot of those players here in this Tier 5. But, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, uh, kind of the starting point is, man, there are a lot of guys down here. And I think the most represented position in this tier is not going to be a surprise, but it's going to be your defensive backfield. There are seven defensive backs in Tier 5, which is dangerous for the success of a defense. And, and this is, I mean, the, the corner position is probably the second most important position in football uh, behind quarterback. And when you look at the quality of the players the 49ers have on their roster at the second most important position in football, it's, it's, it's harrowing and a little depressing. I mean, so we talked about, you know, when we were kind of uh, recapping the season a couple weeks ago, how bad the coverage was this year and, and just like how much, not only like how bad it was, but how much worse it was than basically everybody else in the league. And so I, I don't think it's terribly surprising that you find 
a large number of players who need to be replaced, uh, you know, from the secondary. And, and then I think even looking to the the next most represented position in linebacker, right, still uh, is going to be heavy there in your kind of middle of the field coverage and, and underneath. And uh, having everybody basically in your back seven, having a large number of those players fall in this tier um, gives you a, a great idea of what they need to kind of focus on. Most notable free agents in this category are going to be Jimmy Ward, Greg Maben, Antoine Exum, Raheem Mostert, and Alfred Morris. Now, you might be asking yourself, Raheem Mostert, core special teams player, had a couple of good games at running back. Uh, why is he in tier five? Uh, because special teams players and running backs are replaceable. Yeah, because I mean, th- this is where the replaceability thing is important. I, yeah. I love Raheem Mostert. He's yep. he's a good story, and, and I think that he, again, could contribute. The fact that you are replaceable and in Tier 5 doesn't mean that you are you know, a, a high school football player trying to play in the pros. Sure. You will still provide some value. But there's a reason why these players are not paid superstar, super huge contracts. There's a reason why these players uh, you usually sign off the street, and while it would be great to keep someone like Raheem Mostert, there is another Raheem Mostert out there, and, and that's unfortunate, but it is the unfortunate rea- reality of the NFL, uh, especially with the running backs. I yeah. mean, C.J. Anderson is the proof. You can find the skill, and what's more important for running backs is your offensive line uh, and just generally how good your offense is as a whole. Uh, and Todd Gurley, I think, is, yeah, I mean, he, he sucked. His, it was his own words, right? Uh, and C.J. Anderson yeah. came in and played well. And, and so I think that when it comes to the 49ers and running backs, there's a reason that Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, and Alfred Morris all looked good. And it wasn't because they're necessarily great running backs. It's because the offensive line blocked really well, and Kyle Shanahan can do really great things, and Bobby Scherner is a good position coach. Right. You, the, the takeaway from those guys, from from kind of churning through so many running backs and, and still being able to get relatively good production from the running game shouldn't be, oh my God, we found this kind of uh, diamond in the rough. We need to make sure we keep him around. It should be no, we did well with players who are were readily available. We can move on to the next readily available players and continue to get that production. So which players took a step back into this category? Because, I mean, over half of the category is made up by linebackers and defensive backs. So free age, when we think about free agency in the draft, this is going to be an area that we focus on very intently because we're going to need to add a lot of bodies in, in probably both phases, in both the draft and free agency. But there are some players from last year that were not in this category that, that are indeed now in this category. You've got Garrett Selleck, Brock Coyle, and Jimmy Ward. So, like, really, really quick one sentence. Why did each one fall back into this category? Um, I think it's pretty obvious for Jimmy Ward. If you watched any games this year, he just didn't play well. I mean, yeah. he didn't play well. And it, I thought that, you know, I thought for a long time that safety was his best position. Uh, and even at safety, didn't play well. And then we moved him to corner. Still didn't play well. Uh, and then the dude can't stay healthy. Um, right. You can find another Jimmy Ward. And, and I think, unfortunately, um, the team's going happy. Right. I, I think it, it's kind of one of those situations that, unfortunately for him, uh, he was forced to move around a ton and, and never really had an opportunity to settle and, and get comfortable in one spot and really kind of hone his craft there. Uh, and just had to bounce around a ton during his entire time, dealt with a bunch of injuries. And so I think there becomes a point where, again, um, it, it's just like you're not a fit, right? And you're just not uh, able to kind of add a lot of value to the team. And and what you're doing or really not doing most of the time is something that you can go kind of find elsewhere. Yeah, Garrett Selleck, another, he's a backup tight end, right? Another player that you think to yourself, okay, you can probably find uh, someone like that on the street. Now, 
Uh, I think you you could make an argument that I think he was in tier three last year. I was going to say, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was three and that transition happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and he did. I think he had a, it, it was a broken hand or shoulder, some kind of injury uh, over the course of, of most of the year that he is going to need to get corrected. And who knows, maybe you'll see him bounce back a little bit uh, next year. But based on his performance on the field, uh, you know, we, we're not doctors and we can't sit here and say, oh, well, we have to injuries affect everyone evenly. And so we just kind of have to just take what their performance on the field is at face uh, and say that based on this year's performance, not very good. And based on how he played, that skill uh, is indeed replaceable. But when you think about the tight end position, yes, you've got a super you've got a superstar up at the top. Um, but once you get to the Cole Wicks and Ross Dwellies of the world, um, you know, it, it gets it gets dicey. I think the thing with him, right, and what really is is different about this year, I don't think that there's anything that changed with his skill level, right? I think the difference was last year because Kittle was still a rookie and, and was dealing with his own injuries and wasn't always on the field. There was the requirement to fill an immediate need for Selleck, and he was somebody that did need to have a, a relatively significant role in the short term, right? But the the plan all along was that eventually... Kittle was going to take over as the number one guy and, and Selleck would kind of be relegated to more uh, backup duty. And that's kind of what happened. And, and really, when you look at him from purely a, a talent level standpoint, there's there's nothing special there that you can't go and, and find elsewhere. Now, there's one player that was perhaps a little surprisingly in this category based on the kind of late season pub that he got. And that's Elijah Lee. Uh, he got a lot of publicity at the end of the year because he played, you know, kind of decently well, I guess, average, if you will call it. Uh, but McVeigh had a quote about him, and he said that Elijah Lee was consistently in the right spot. Uh, but Elijah Lee is another player where he only was getting playing time based on injuries across the board. Uh, and when he did get some playing time, he played average at best. Uh, and and that linebacking position uh, is is not, I think... Um, something that you can't find out there in the wild. I mean, hell, we found Elijah Lee out there in the wild for a right. reason. He was cut by Minnesota uh, after he was drafted. Uh, but I think the other part with Elijah Lee is that he's a free agent this year. And unless the team signs him to an extension, then he is literally the definition of someone who is not expected to produce on the roster. Right. I, I think the the key thing here, right, because the, the possible place that he could go elsewhere is going to be in the next year in that developmental players, right, being a young guy. Um, But I think this is where we get back to it's not just being a young guy that gets you into tier four. There has to be a reason to believe that you can um, eventually develop into a better player. And I think right now you have a seventh round pick that was a practice squad player that was only put into the lineup because of kind of dire injury situations and then didn't necessarily make the most of that opportunity. Right. It wasn't like he came out and was excellent for a, a couple games in there and played at a really high level that makes you think like, OK, wow, this guy's got, uh, you know, kind of something in there that maybe we didn't think he had uh, there, that he doesn't really have the athletic upside. He was a very kind of average athlete coming out uh, among his draft class there. So there's just not a lot there that, that can you can point to and concretely say that, like, yeah, I think this guy can get better. I think he's a, a great example of a, a player that uh, fans can get too attached to and think because he did come in when injuries were going crazy and he wasn't completely terrible that like this is a guy that we need to keep and give a chance and he needs to to get a chance to go out there and compete for a starter. And, and really, you should be looking at it as like, this guy, we got him for nothing, right? We found him on the street. He didn't really do anything special we can find another elijah lee right for cheap as opposed to giving him some sort of you know more significant second contract 
So then we get to the other tier, a tier that's a bit more fun, and that's tier four. These are the developmental players. Total number of players in this category is 17 for the 49ers. That's 27% uh, of the players that are currently under contract, including pending free agents. Compared to last season, last season the 49ers had just eight players in this developmental area. Uh, that's thir- That was 13%. So this was an area that grew, and it grew for a couple unique reasons. But uh, we'll get to that here in just a second. David, what was the most represented position in Tier 4? So I think here uh, shouldn't be really a, a terrible surprise because of the amount of players that they've added at this position. But you look along the defensive line as the most represented here. So five total players on the defensive line, looking three on the interior, two on the edge. Uh, so that's kind of the one that really sticks out among this group. Most of the other groups had that, that had players in here at all were kind of in the two, three range. Ed receiver was the next most represented there with three. Um, but I think it makes sense defensive line wise. They've just added a lot of players here, whether that's been guys like, you know, Sheldon day that they picked up or some of the late round draft picks that they've added, like Julian Taylor, DJ Jones. Uh, I think those are the type of players that you're finding here in this tier. So what players fell into this category from other tiers in 2018? This, I think, is the story of tier four because maybe the honestly, the story of this entire roster exercise. I think this is maybe the most interesting piece. Yeah, because so last year we had a a tier two grade on a couple of players, right? Akella Witherspoon, Solomon Thomas, Adrian Colbert. All of those players have been moved into tier four for the purposes of this model moving into 2019. I think with Akella Witherspoon, we've talked a lot about him. There's still a lot of physical tools. He is absolutely a developmental player, but he did not play at the level required to remain in that tier two. Uh, you think of Solomon Thomas, another player who did not get, uh, who did not perform as well as we thought he would, uh, and he's very firmly in that developmental area. Uh, and then you've got Adrian Colbert, uh, similar kind of story. These were the players that the the team was lauding that we thought would be the core and the backbone of the roster moving forward. And now they're developmental players in there with a lot of other players, you know, with, with like Richie James uh, and some of those players. Uh, Trent Taylor is another one that fell from two to four um, in this. And so, yeah, I think this is uh, kind of a little bit here of not listening to our own advice um, and, and kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves on some of these players, some of these young players last year. Right. So, uh, putting all of those players, even though we knew that we hadn't seen a ton from them yet. And, and there was a lot of projection, I think, involved in, in expecting them to kind of continue. You know, it's it's a it's an easy trap to fall into where you expect this sort of linear progression among young players, like whatever level of play they showed in their rookie season. Well, naturally, they're going to take a step forward and be a bit better than that in year two. And then that kind of keeps going. Hey, man, that Madden linear progression. It's uh, it's the way <laughs> yeah, when, you, when I sim forward. That's exactly you what don't happens. get the plus fives every offseason. Right. It just doesn't work that way. So I, I think this was um, kind of correcting probably an error from last year and, and saying that, OK, these young players aren't there yet. Right. They haven't really established themselves as those two uh, that those tier two players um, you know, I think for, for various reasons, for sure. Again, Witherspoon, Thomas, we've talked a lot about, and you've talked a lot about over the course of the season, Trent Taylor, I think, um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that his value in a lot of ways is tied maybe directly to Jimmy Garoppolo and, and having a player that can actually take advantage of the routes and the things that he's good at. And I think that that's a player too, that because he was dealing with a slow recovery from a back injury, like yeah. he, he's been yep. pretty pretty straightforward in saying that he didn't feel right until like week 10 basically yeah. uh and that's when he started to get more playing time and and i think that there that is a, a an asterisk you have to put by his name 
But I think for the purposes of, of evaluating the roster, we can't just say, well, we know that he's going to be better if he just plays healthy, right? Because right. injury to a certain degree is a skill. I think Jimmy Ward plays well when his form isn't broken. But, you know, that's not a reality that we experience. Uh, so ultimately, that that's kind of where it landed him. Um, I think that when it comes to Solomon Thomas, the one thing that I've that's o- kind of opened my eyes was after last week's interview with Matt Barrows, just talking about how Jeff Scanina did not he he was not a, a Jeff Scanina favorite, and, and I think that to me we often forget the importance that position coaches have on these players, the playing time they get, their development, uh, the opportunities they get. Uh, effectively, his manager didn't like him. And it's hard to work a job when your manager's kind of got it out for you. Uh, and so I think that for me, it'll be interesting to see what Solomon Thomas does next year. I'm in no way, shape, or form projecting that he's going to all of a sudden like break the chains of mediocrity and be amazing. But I do think it will be interesting to see where he ends up in this model next year. Definitely. I think you know that's that very point is why this exercise is kind of interesting, right? The fact that we have uh, you know, defensive line being the position that's most represented here in these developmental players. I think when you look back and a lot of the complaints defensively that we've had over the last year or two uh, in regards to Robert Sala, a lot of those gripes came from how the defensive line operated, right? It was guys like Earl Mitchell getting too much playing time, uh, misuse of Solomon Thomas, you know, having weird rotations and, and just kind of uh, having uh, players that didn't really seem to be utilized the best. And, and that was kind of a major gripe that we've had. And so then, you, like you said, you go down to the position coach now making a change there and having somebody new come in, what sort of impact is, is that going to have on this group? Is he going to be able to develop these players a bit more so that some of these tier four players become those tier two players that they need, right? They've, they've added so much potential talent on that defensive line. Uh, and they just haven't really gotten the production DeForest Buckner has been basically the only guy who is what we thought he was going to be and has come out and has been able to produce at a high level consistently. Um, you know, the rest of these guys, it's flashes here and there or not getting opportunities as much as you would like or whatever number of reasons you want to throw out there. But I think that is is kind of I- identifying a key storyline to pay attention to as we go into next season. The other player I think that makes an appearance here, which is interesting, is Nick Mullins. We've got two tier four quarterbacks, good old CJ Beathard and, and Nick Mullins. And I think that it, it's it's not bad to have two quarterbacks in that developmental area. Um, I think one of them will eventually win the job and that'll be that. But uh, there, there aren't, in my opinion, lots of surprises for tier four other than a, a swath of 2017 falling into this area. Uh, and, and that is, I think that is what defined the 49ers success or lack thereof, uh, especially on defense because the core of that defense or what we thought would be the core of that defense, Ruben Foster, uh, Solomon Thomas, Adrian Colbert, Akella Witherspoon are all players that very, very much are um, are unfinished in their development. And I mean, one of them's finished. Well, yeah. Right? Well, well, I mean, <laughs> one of them is a, a Washington controversy, which is fitting. Sure. But uh, there's a tweet from Dan Hatman that he he posted. It was either in the offseason or during the middle of the season. And Dan Hatman is the, the director of the Scouting Academy and, and former kind of front office person for, for a couple teams in the NFL. But he said... Oftentimes we think that, you know, player progression is linear, but what if when a rookie plays well that rookie year, that is their best. And for whatever reason, they never get back to that peak, whether it be because of injury or because they got in their own head or because of lots of other things. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, that was just as good as they're ever going to play. And, and that the 
kind of progression becomes a regression throughout the rest of their career and they wash out in three or four years, which is the average length of an NFL contract across the board. Um, you know, it, it's just something to think about because we think that these players, their, you know, the level that they start at is going to be their floor forever. Right. And that may not be true. Adrian Colbert may be what the rest of the league thought he was, which was an athletic seventh round draft pick that's going to be good on special teams. Right. And, and we don't know. We have no idea at this point, but there's a reason that he's in that developmental tier. And that means the Niners have probably got to bolster that position in some very real concrete way. Yeah. It's, it's uh, again, just kind of continuing to hit on that point that when you have so many questions, when you're dealing with a young roster, like the 49ers have, who have one of the, the youngest rosters, especially on defense, they had, you know, uh, up there in terms of snaps that they got from rookies. And, and when you look at rookies and second year players up there as well. So they, they have a very young roster overall, and that leads to a lot of question marks because we just don't have the body of work from those players that we do with veteran players, right? Where we know what we're going to get from them. And so uh, we, we continue to hit it. We missed it on this one, I think, with a few players for sure. But it, it just reiterates that point that you can expect all of the question marks to be answered positively, right? Some of these guys are going to take steps back. Some of them aren't going to, you know, take that step forward that you would like, and and they're just going to have to deal with those things. So that has to be part of the calculus when you're you're kind of looking forward to how this team is going to do in the future. Yeah, I think that's that's something that we very much have tried to drill in over the course of the last couple of years. Right, not everything breaks your way, uh, so try and, and account for the things that you, know, you hope for the best plan for the worst. Uh, try and account for all of it. Uh, but I think when you look at the the two tiers here, the developmental and, and kind of that tier five, the replaceable players it's pretty obvious where the Niners need to focus a lot of effort. And that's going to be at defensive back linebacker. Um, and when you think of upside, the defensive line, it has a massive upside. And I think wide receiver is going to be maybe not as much of an upside uh, as the defensive line, but I think there's still some tools there. Um, I think that when you look at Richie James, Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, uh, he's also in tier four. Uh, I don't yeah. Think- I think uh, to me, Taylor and, and James, I think, you know, are uh, again, players that can come in and and you can see them filling a specific role, right? You can see them having an impact in the slot and being productive players when Jimmy Garoppolo is there at quarterback. Uh, So I think, yeah, those are are guys that you can identify where we may not need to go out there and add another slot type player because you have hopefully guys that you're looking to, to, to develop there. But uh, again, I think you need to always, if the position is important enough, you need to throw, resources at it and get bodies until you've addressed the issue, right? Having somebody like Adrian Colbert, having somebody like Akella Witherspoon on the roster, that should not prevent you from going out and adding cornerbacks and adding safeties this offseason. There's a bit of Kendrick Bornhive out on Twitter uh, who would probably yeah. uh, not agree with Kendrick Bourne being in tier four as the developmental player. Uh, why are they wrong? Uh, because I don't know, probably because they don't watch enough other (laughs) football and like they don't recognize that he's just like not that good uh, among, uh, you know, when when you look at the broader spectrum of things. I think, yeah, he's a perfect example of a player that fans and and fans of every team have these players, like players that they get attached to. The Bears have Mitch Trubisky. Right. (laughs) Some of those uh, mistakes are more egregious than others, for sure. Uh, but it's just kind of a case and it's fine. Like, like the, you know, like those players, I ain't here to tell you how to live your life, but it's just kind of in reality, like he's not as good of a player as I think a lot of the fan base kind of thinks that he is. And, 
Um, you know, does he have like little flashes here and there? Does he look like a pretty athletic dude and, and make some plays every once in a while? Sure. But there are uh, loads of those type of players that come out every single year in the draft that you can go get. And, and I think he hasn't shown anything that proves that he's necessarily uh, markedly better than that. So I think, yeah, it's just kind of a case of they haven't had a lot of great players at the position recently. Um, the players that they have had that are good have been injured a lot. He's had to get some playing time. He's been okay, I guess. Sure. And and that's kind of enough to to latch on when you have kind of a bad roster. I think it's important not to, again, get caught up in, in like, the best of a bunch of crap, right? Like you don't, you, that's not what you're looking for. You should still be going out there looking for improvements. And I think that's an area that they can definitely find, you know, better players elsewhere. So we will have the entire list of tier four and tier five players on Niners nation uh, so that you can see the full list of where the roster is at. Uh, we will also be posting the model, the definitions uh, and the quadrant up on Niners nation as well. So you can become familiar with it. Uh, and then next week we'll come at you with, some of the tier, well, I, th- I think tier two and tier three. Uh, yeah. So we'll be able to get into talking about some of the players that are a bit more fun uh, and some of the successes on the 49ers roster. But I think where we landed key takeaways from tier three, or I'm sorry, from tier four and tier five is there the, de- the defensive back situation is dire, but the linebacker situation might be just as. Uh, and then when you get to upside positions, it's definitely along the defensive line uh, and maybe even at wide receiver. Uh, and then, man, that 2017 draft class, I still, that's, it's tough, man. I think you, you looked at guys like, you know, Witherspoon, Thomas and Foster there, and you expected that kind of, they were going to be the key components of the next great, yeah. you know, 49ers defense, you know, whenever they were good again, you would have expected those players to play a significant role. And now obviously Foster's gone. Uh, Thomas and Witherspoon are, are kind of looking in after two years. You're not really sure which way they're going to go yet. So it's just, uh, yeah, it goes to show how much can change in a year, how much your perception on these players can change, and and you just want to do the best you can to keep gathering as much information as you can, and and you you, you make adjustments as you go. But yeah, I think that's a uh, uh, an interesting place to be after last year, where we thought a lot of those guys were going to be those key pieces. Uh, another reminder that draft evaluation really shouldn't happen in earnest until about year three, yeah. uh, and and then we'll see what happens at that point. Yeah, sometimes you get lucky and you know, you know, like sometimes, you know, early on. But, you know, with a lot of these guys, it, it takes time. It takes time. for Exactly. Sure. So that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Tune in again next week where we will continue with the roster model talk. And we'll talk a bit about those transitional players, those second tier core players. Uh, a bit more fun. You can always follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Better Rivals. David, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at PFF David. You can always find the podcast basically anywhere that podcasts exist. Spotify, if you've got Sonos. Uh, Spotify, if you love Spotify. Pandora. Uh, Apple Podcasts. Google Play. TuneIn. Uh, Stitcher. All the other things that people use. I mean, basically, if you have internet, you can find us. Uh, but definitely go to Niners Nation uh, and take a look at some of the assets that we have there as well. So, Oh, and I will go ahead and I'm going to make a plug because by the time that you're likely listening to this, our quarterback annual at PFF uh, yeah, will that's be... Right. Uh, available so I highly recommend it I think it's you know I think quarterback play is probably the best thing that we do in this quarterback annual is probably the best product that we put out um, you know had the first one last year it was fantastic and, and you just can find a ton of great information on it so go check that out if you're already a subscriber if you're not you can go to my Twitter page there's a, a link there that will get you 15% off a subscription so you can check it out um, so yeah go do that 
Awesome. So go take a look at that quarterback annual. And as always, go Niners. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.